This is like serious. I need everyone. Really We're going to do a poll. Mm-hmm. Is a tri-tip a steak or is it a roast? <laughs> is there no. a third option? There has to be a right and a wrong. There's You're no such a area. three with a two wing, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Holy Ghosting, a podcast about deconstruction from your 40-year-old mom friends. I'm Lindsay, and I wake up in the middle of the night to prepare food for my family. And I'm Meg, and I do not eat the bread of idleness, nor the regular bread. Gluten-free is fine, definitely not the bread of idleness. I'm Sarai, and I am like the merchant ships, bringing my food in from afar. And today we're talking about the Proverbs 31 woman, or if you prefer... Women are still okay, even if they're not doing something for capitalism all the time. (laughs) That wasn't planned. Yeah. I feel like for me, the Proverbs 31 woman is emblazoned in my mind as the absolute right model for what it meant to be a woman and a Christian. And so I grew up with this concept of the Proverbs 31 woman. I feel like there were Bible studies called that. I heard about it. I learned about it. It was something modeled in my family and in my church. Who does all the work at a a potluck? Can I hear? The ladies. The ladies. Proverbs 31 woman. That's right. They are working vigorously and their arms are strong for their task. Was it touted y'all as a Proverbs 31 woman or the Proverbs 31 wife? Mm. I heard woman, but I like this. wife. Oh. As a young unmarried, you didn't have to adhere to any of these rules? No, it's what you're working towards to be a wife. You're not gonna get right. You're not gonna get married if you're not this woman. No one's gonna wanna marry you. Oh more insidious. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So work to become her. So therefore a man will want you. And then you can stay her and work until you literally die. Amen. Sounds great. Oh, I love it. We solved it. We did it. (laughs) Is the episode done? Are we We're done? fastest one yet we all wanted to be and became and obviously still are the perfect proverbs 31 woman yes of course we are it's amazing well when i was a kid i think it also stood out to me because the first person who was significant to me in my life to die was my great grandma blah and on her little like funeral bulletin thing it said her lamp does not go out at night, which is from this passage. So if you haven't read Proverbs 31, listeners, then I recommend that you go and read it. I use the internet because I'm pretty sure I don't have a Bible in my house anymore. It is a pretty long passage of a little over 20 verses talking about the perfect wife or the noble wife. So of course, as Lindsay said, it is framed in wifehood and wifeness, and also motherhood. So those are some of the kind of archetypes that are tied to this Proverbs 31 woman. But for me, it also was about what my value was as a person. And so not just I need to be this way so I can get married and get a good husband someday. For a lot of my life, that wasn't like my top priority. And I didn't really feel like having kids until I wanted to have kids and I was like 30. So in the meantime, it wasn't so much that I was interested in marriage and that purpose, but really because I did honestly believe that my value only came from what I could produce. And that was upheld again and again by the kind of patriarchal misogynistic beliefs of the evangelical church. Can you give us a quick five points listed for those who may not have been raised 
to be told over and over again that this is the woman that you need to grow to be and aspire to be. What kind of woman are we talking about? Well, actually, Lindsay, I would like to put a pin in that question because instead we're going to rewind, rewind, rewind to the Garden of Eden (gasps) where we'll find our friends taking us way back and Eve walking around his schlong hanging out her boobs flopping in the wind. Just kidding. She probably had perfect boobs that are like, just like. They weren't floppy. I was kind of projecting on that one. Adam and Eve are wandering the garden, having a great time. He has free access to his ween anytime he wants to. He's probably playing with it a lot. Eve is just wandering around talking to snakes and stuff. And then one day she's like, this red delicious apple looks so beautiful and photogenic. I'm going to eat it. And the snake's like, yeah, girl, you're going to know everything about everything. And she's like, oh, yes, let's do this. So she takes a bite. And I'm assuming it really is a red delicious apple because I don't know about you, but have you ever bitten into one of those beautiful red delicious apples? And what was your reaction that you made when you did that? Why is it so sandy? So probably she was immediately like, well, that was not worth it. And then God peeks around the bushes like, Bitch, I was watching you the whole time. I saw that. And then she's like, damn it, caught. So he curses Eve and Adam, but mostly Eve, to a lifetime of toil and pain. And women are additionally cursed because we also have cramps and we also have to have babies. And a lot of times before medicine existed, people would die all the time when they had babies or the babies would die. It's really a lot of suffering, which of course we all know we loved as evangelical Christians. It's like the most important thing. So as a woman, I was like, well, I better take on this burden of the first woman because obviously I'm tainted because of her choice to eat that shitty apple. And now I'm going to work my way to becoming the next best woman I could find in the Bible, which was the Proverbs 31 woman. The Proverbs 31 woman is a noble character. And she is somebody who makes her husband very proud and happy. And her husband, by the way, is also very powerful and respected. And so everyone loves him. She brings him good, not harm. She's selecting wool and flax. And she's like the merchant ships, just like me, bringing in food from foreign lands. She's getting up in the middle of the night before it's light outside so she can make food. And of course, she gives her female servants food too so thank you proverbs 31 woman wowie she is a benevolent slave holder yes she fed her enslaved people she owned so great job on that she's doing real estate deals she's literally spinning yarn and giving food to the poor and beer as recommended in the previous passage i really never heard about the proverbs 31 woman providing beer for people that was not spoken of in my denomination Well, she might not have. That part was about King Lemuel. It's that thing where like as a kid, you're reading the Bible and somebody just chaptered and versed it. Anyway, so she is slay all day, lady. And she looks hot and her family looks hot because they're all dressed in scarlet and purple linen and so forth. I don't know about you, but I'm already tired just like imagining this life of never sleeping, working 100% of the time. And also caring for my children and also buying a field and then profiting off of it and buying more people to enslave and have them work my fields for me. This is a whole lot of stuff. Where do you relate on this? What are your takes on kind of what the Proverbs 31 woman is set out to be? And how has that affected you in your sense of self and your relationship to producing 
money or value. Meg, you want to take a stab at this one? Oh, gosh. All right. So I think I internalized the Proverbs 31 woman in a way where I did not associate these skills with the Proverbs 31 woman. I don't know in my upbringing where it kind of started from, but the Proverbs 31 woman was not touted to me as an icon or an idol or somebody that I should be or become. Absolutely all of these traits and the virtues and the, the hardworking nature was not just depicted in the role that my mother played in our family, but also all of the women in our church. So while no women were going to preach in our church, they were going to handle every single event, the preparation for, the cleanup of, the food making, and the child rearing. And they were going to support everything pastorally underneath the pastor. So children's ministries, youth ministries, they were going to be counselors at camps. You know, the moms were really the ones who were supposed to take on the burden of everything that was not in the workplace until they also were in the workplace. And then they just kind of kept all those responsibilities. So I never did the Bible study for the Proverbs 31 woman in the world that I grew up in. It was a lot more sneaky. I kind of think I would have liked it if I would have had the poster that was like, be virtuous, the list of things that you're supposed to be. Because I'm really, I was really good at following rules. And I think one of those beautiful posters with butterflies probably and like maybe uh, flowers on it. And it was just say like, be honest, be faithful, serve everyone, be virtuous. I would have she's, loved that. She's kind of like the Rosie the Riveter of Christianity, at least like kind of how she was held up in my realm. It was sort of this, in a way, feminist icon, if you will, for a kid in evangelical Christianity, because she's out doing stuff. She's successful. She's autonomous. She has power and she uses that power. And yeah, it is like all glorified because it's in benefit of her husband and her kids and the community. Right. But also she's, she gets to make decisions. I mean, she makes stuff happen, which for me was awesome. I think that's why I liked it so much. Well, maybe that's why I wasn't taught about her as a Rosie the Riveter, like feminist icon. I had zero feminist icons uh, as a young lady growing up in the church. I think <laughs> I was only supposed to admire the men. So mm -hmm. I missed out mm -hmm. a little bit on that. I think I need to get one of those posters. Or maybe it's like two kittens and then it like says cute saying on it, but it's about the Proverbs 31 woman. I think I could be down I'm with sure. that. I'm certain that those exist. I feel like Lindsay and I could each go find you five different ones and you'll have <laughs> yes. a collection of 100%. 10. 100%. Love it. <laughs> My like gut reaction when you were chatting through it, honestly, it was like, oh shit, am I that? Did I grow up to be that and just didn't realize it? Proverbs 31 woman wasn't something that I was for sure setting out to be. And I have a really hard time divorcing my own work ethic and type A personality and all of those things with how much of that is like internalized patriarchy and evangelicalism and all of that and how much is it just the way that I am because I'm the primary income earner for my family. I am the primary cook for my family. I clean. I make all of my kids school or, you know, like, and not to say that my husband doesn't do anything, but a lot of it is just me and I'm a control freak and I like things the way that I like them. And it's so interesting because as I've distanced myself from the evangelical church, I've noticed 
in particular that evangelicals are very hung up on appearances and keeping up with the Joneses and having their life look perfect. And I mean, there's others too, like Mormon mommy bloggers are taking over the internet with their perfect freaking families, right? And I have this constant struggle of wanting to appear perfect and also knowing that I'm very much not. <laughs> it's so weird because the Proverbs 31 woman, when you look at it and a lot of the things that she's saying they're doing, they're the clothed in these fine things and it's honestly the kind of the opposite of what Jesus said in the New Testament about giving away all of your things. And so it's interesting that she's become this person that is idolized, who has it all together and her life looks so perfect and they have all these nice things. But how is that godly, actually, when you like really, truly think about it? Is it godly or is it just a king who was writing about what he thought was desirable and a partner. Kind of taking that Jesus connection, and even though I said everything's divided into chapters and verses sort of arbitrarily, that section before this is talking about the poor. And it brings up give them beer and wine because they're so sad and they're just going to be poor and let them enjoy life a little bit while they suffer before they die. Mm -hmm. That is also, I'll just be honest, like a really interesting perspective that I do see playing out not just necessarily among evangelicals, but certainly in American society writ large. Our whole culture is, well, if you're poor, it's probably your fault because you didn't work hard enough. So you should keep mm -hmm. working hard. And of course, all of the people who don't have housing are probably drunk or using substances or whatever. It's very easy for people to put their judgments on people who have less. And in a very true sense, this concept of this Proverbs 31 energizer bunny lady is classist at a minimum. But it does yep. reflect that modern day, like when I really remember the early 2000s, mid 2000s, I felt like every mom at church drove a Chevy Tahoe. Everybody had one. Mm -hmm. Everybody. One of the things that actually drives me almost more crazy than people who are very outwardly, say conservative or political, are the people that are just like, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord and we don't mm -hmm. get into politics. Mm -hmm. And basically they view their ministry as like, I'm just going to pour all of my resources into my children and my husband feels very Proverbs 31. It ignore all of the things about feeding the poor or maybe giving beer to people who might need or want it. Nope. I'm going to clothe my children in beautiful fine linens and we're going to have a safe, wonderful home and I'm going to raise them to be godly and that's going to change the world. Fuck no, it's not. Sure, that's part of it raising your family and providing for them. And, and I get that. And I have the struggle constantly because do I want to be terrified about money all the time and, you know, living paycheck to paycheck? No, I don't. And I really wrestle with wealth and my faith and what that means and being an American and all that. I guess now that I'm older, thinking about this woman, I think that I just hadn't really thought before about the, the classist nature of it and where she's at in society and the seeds that that planted in a lot of minds of like what we have to be. Yep. I think it's an interesting hijacking of femininity to be selective about which parts of the Proverbs 31 woman you want to reflect. The Rosie the Riveter side that appealed to me so much or the scripty fluffy bunny side that we see in families that have signs like live, laugh, love and <laughs> framed canvases of their family portraits in a field. So beautiful. <laughs> Well, Meg, I know you are also a go-getter, make things happen. I mean, you and Lindsay are both entrepreneurs working-ish. I mean, you work in a very entrepreneurial way. 
and a lot. And you do have the burden of being the primary breadwinner for your household too. So I'm kind of curious about like what resonates on this for you or do you feel like there are threads to pull from this tapestry that we're unweaving? I like the idea of embracing femininity. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I loved the idea of being a wife and having a partner. I think women are amazing. I think that we have been given an ability to not just multitask, because I think that's not putting enough emphasis on actually what it means. I think multitasking sounds like bouncing a baby on your hip while cooking dinner or something. I'm talking about the massive amount of things that we hold in our minds that we are a calendar of our family's activities. You know, I have this knowledge base of when the bills are due, what kind of bills are due, where my debt is at at any moment, how many projects I'm working on at work and personally and home to-do lists. And it's not as though I'm over here just like single mind, one project at a time kind of a person. I just don't know if that's what the world allows for me to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think growing up, with a mom who worked in the 80s and 90s. And, you know, she was very independent prior to having children. Uh, she didn't have children until her late 20s. She was 30 when she had me. I was her second. The example that was given for me was that I could and should do all the things because if my mother could and should do all the things, therefore I could and should do all the things. So I didn't feel like when I got married, I was put in any sort of a box. I think, I mean, by anyone else, I think I put myself where I was and took the responsibilities on and then got really overwhelmed adding all of the household things to my plate along with working and resented my husband, my young husband and I, uh, we mostly fought about just being exhausted, I think, and you know, me feeling like I wasn't being supported with dishes or with cooking or, you know, any of those things. And we did kind of a real disservice to young men where we did not empower them to not need a mother. And so there was an expectation that when you got married, as a wife, you were going to fulfill, you know, all of these household duties. And when we first moved somewhere, we didn't have a yard. It was like an apartment over a garage. So there wasn't yard work. I think my husband took the garbage out because obviously that's a man's job. My husband made this amazing song up when our child was young and it's called It Takes a Man to Do a Man's Job. And it's one of the most hilarious like parody kind of songs ever. But I sing it all the time takes a man to do a man's job. It goes on. Don't worry, it'll be on our worship album. <laughs> but I think it took me a really long time to not just ask for help, but to also receive help. I think that was even harder for me to receive help and not feel as though I was failing at being a good wife or a good mother. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that that's modeled a whole lot. I mean, the Proverbs 31 woman sure shit isn't getting help. Like she is doing it all on her own. And it's interesting, Meg, because my mom didn't work. She homeschooled us. She stayed at home. And she was not classic pastor's wife in a lot of ways. Like my mom had her own little funny ways of rebelling. But it's interesting. Like I realized 
later in my life, I actually didn't want children for like, I got married and told my husband I didn't want children. And it took me a, a long time to come around to winning kids. And I think a lot of it was that it literally was never modeled to me. I wanted to work. I knew that I was good at certain things and I wanted to have a career. When I was in high school, I had my plan. I was going to move to Southern California. I was going to work in the music industry. And that's what I did. I set out and I accomplished that goal. And so I didn't know how to be a feminist and had have children. I did not take that from Proverbs 31 woman. To me, that just felt like subservient. You're serving a man. And I got such weird mixed messages. Like my grandpa, he was an aeronautical engineer, super conservative, very Christian. And he told me my whole life that I could be whatever I wanted to be. And he told me I could be the president. And he told me that I should be a lawyer or a doctor, all these things. And so I had these people like championing me and telling me like, you're going to go do great things. But then that wasn't modeled in my churches. And so when I stepped out and mm. I remember I had a freak out one day, I told him I didn't want to have children. I think our plan was to adopt or do foster care. And at one point I was just like, uh, hey, babe, so I want to start my own business. I want to have a baby. I want to go to grad school. I just like one day it just all came out of me. And he was like, <laughs> could you like pick two maybe? Like, <laughs> maybe not all three. And I was like, sure. Overachiever yeah, alert. Uh, it's a problem. So funny enough, I applied to grad school, uh, an MBA program. And I got in, like paid my deposit. In my head, I had to have an MBA to start my own business I guess and then the like further I got into all like the business jargon and all the bros that were in the interview I was in a group interview process I was like I don't think this is me so then I just didn't ever go to the grad school that I got accepted into and instead I started my own business and had a baby in the same year which is not advisable the Proverbs 31 woman could maybe pull it off and I did pull it off but I didn't sleep for like a year or more, oh my god so, so Lindsay, I hear you <laughs> Honestly, it's like, to me, the story is very similar, except for that I got pregnant. And then I got my acceptance letter to grad school. Uh, trigger warning, did lose that first pregnancy very early on. But then I just ended up going to grad school. And then having two babies and then all in like consecutive years. And then the next year is when I started my business. <laughs> so I where's the you. Bible verse for that? Yeah. Like well, I mean, How did my the next step in that whole story is, and then I left my marriage and my church and everything else. But, you know, that's you can't have that in the Bible. It would be very confusing. <laughs> One of the things that I have learned, they don't say this in Proverbs, is that, guess what? If you are going to be running your own business and you want to, like, sleep and you want to exercise and you want to, like, eat vegetables and you want to clean house, like, you literally cannot have all of those things. There are only so many hours in the day. So I just, like, kind of pick and choose. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to exercise this week, but I will get sleep. So <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. For now. I mean, I like that because it also kind of takes me to my next step for my whole life till I was about 35, I had a very difficult time ever resting. Like mm -hmm. I would take naps or something, but basically it was like, go, 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 crash, go, 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 crash, crash, crash. I have this cycle of going really hard and then I get sick or something happens that makes it so I cannot continue. I have to listen. And that is kind of a challenge that I still am facing, although I think I've gotten a little better at pacing it. The year that I uh, was getting divorced was a time when I had recently started my business. It was probably about a year old by then. And I was in the middle of a divorce with somebody who was asking for spousal support and child support, even though we had, you know, 50-50 time. 
And it was really difficult for me to be able to keep my nose to the grindstone while going through the emotional disruption of having a two-year-old and a four-year-old moving a bunch of times because every place I moved raised the rent extremely high after I moved there for just a little bit. It was not an easy time, but there were a lot of salt baths and a lot of lonely hikes just with myself to go feel angry. Well, me and my dog, Penny. And that whole process felt like laziness to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like I wasn't working hard enough. One of the people I was seeing was like, oh, you just need to go get like a, a crappy job for $10 an hour or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah. And then I was like, I've done that my whole life too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not afraid to work. I, d- I had some temp jobs. Like I was a consultant, but I didn't have the energy to sell my product that much at that moment. And so it was really hard. Mostly it was hard because I had a hard time integrating that side of myself, the side that is human and needs rest, the side that needs that spaciousness to feel all the feelings that you have to feel when you're going through big changes in your life. And for me, that was also a huge reset of finding myself after I'd buried myself under other people's expectations for so long. I think the Proverbs 31 woman became a different mirror for me reading through this makes me so tired. And a mirror that helped me see that rest is essential. And if you don't rest, you burn out. And burning out is so much worse than anything else because it takes a lot of time to recover from that. And a lot of things in your life will fall apart. And I, and I think that's a good thing personally, but it's also a hard thing. Yeah. I think it's all so intrinsically tied. It, it I think it's so hard to know, is this capitalism is it patriarchy is it christianity like it's all so intertwined in america are you all into the enneagram is that a thing that you have done or no i have done it i've done it i'm not like deep in enneagram but i think i remember the things i was okay so what are you just out of curiosity i'm pretty sure i'm a seven okay meg do you know um i was gonna say seven but i need to look it up Oh, we're definitely you're... not the same thing. Yeah, I was like, we, you're not a seven. We are, we're related. <laughs> I love that. I was like, no. We can just... <laughs> I have a theory that, so the two in the Enneagram is the helper. And I feel like many, many, many women I know test as twos. And it's so hard. And most of the reaction is, am I actually that or is that what I'm conditioned to be? And I'm a three mm. with a two wing. So the three is the achiever and the two is the helper. And it's interesting because the majority of politicians are three wing twos because they have the drive to succeed with the want to help people, which is very much me. <laughs> Even though I skipped the Democratic Party picnic tonight that I was supposed to go to. So priorities, guys. Podcast <laughs> over politics. <laughs> Any twos out there? comment let us know i think my mom has tested as a two i just feel like a lot of christian or post-christian women have tested as twos because it's the servant's heart and some of it's really good like my two wing like i truly do care about people i have a lot of compassion i want to help people it's so hard to know like motivations for these things right like what is this is just me and my personality and who i am and what is it that i've just been trained to be my entire life we're all going to be figuring this out for the rest of our lives right like there isn't an, an answer for any of this i think it's just part of what we want to do in this space is to unravel those threads and talk about why is it that we are the way we are and we are expected to be certain ways 
and our ideas of what women should be and what wives should be and what a home should be and thank God for the next generation and that I think that they have a lot less of those preconceived notions or I really hope so. But man, it's taken a long time to sort of like back out of that and realize like, why is it that I do things the way that I do and in my life and marriage and all that? Yeah, I have found it really interesting to learn more about myself and embrace the things that are innate in me, my God-given abilities, what I've gotten from each of my parents and how that has made me who I am, but also my experiences, my personal experiences in life and how um, they have developed different traits within me and things that are not things I was born with. I was born very, very shy and I think because of my church upbringing was really kept in that, you know, children should be seen and not heard and you have a place. And as a woman, you should be seen and not heard. And uh, a lot of the roles that I took on in my young adult life, I think, embraced those things. I was I was definitely a helpmate. I really saw myself as the helper and the supporter to my husband. I had really unfair expectations of my husband. I had expectations that he would go out and get a corporate job and would be the breadwinner for our family and be grumpy on the evenings and do yard work on the weekends. And I just kind of thought, that's what I'm signing up for. For anyone who's met my husband, he is an artist. He's a writer and he contributes in ways that are kind of, I think, maybe even I didn't know that I needed, you know, like, thank God for him. He's also a great cook. He's a great cook. Excellent dungeon master, an excellent dungeon master (laughs) and a great cook. So the Proverbs 32 husband Mm -hmm. should um, be able to cook a great steak. Steak. (laughs) Yep. A roast. He might like to cook a roast now and then probably. (laughs) And I want to know, is it is a tri-tip of steak? Tell me. I need I need everyone to weigh in on this. This is a rift between one of my very good friends and my husband. This is like serious. I need everyone. Really We're going to do a poll. Mm-hmm. Is a tri-tip a steak or is it a roast? Or is it dun 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 both? <laughs> is there no. a third option? There has to be a right and a wrong. There's You're no such a area. three with a two wing, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a seven. I feel like a tri-tip can be anything it wants to be. (laughs) I like that for tri-tip. Me too. When you started talking about Enneagram, what's interesting to me in my relationship with it is that I'm annoyed by it because I always test as like a seven, but I think I'm a three or like I thought I should be a three. There's this thing where it's like you're trying to pick the right thing. What's the right way to be? What's the right version of myself that the world wants to see or that I'm comfortable showing them. And for me, recognizing I want to be a three, but I'm a seven is very exhausting. And that is, and Mm. so in Enneagram terms, like I said, I'm not really like an expert at it, but basically a seven is like, you're optimistic and you make crazy decisions and you're really funny or whatever. And then the three is like, like spontaneous, like love of travel and fun. Yeah. That's the seven in my mind. Yeah. I think. Yeah, see, but I mean, that's definitely fits. (laughs) But I wanted to be like, I don't know what a three is exactly, but it definitely does have something to do with achievement and getting things accomplished and all of that. So how do we put on the right costume 
our whole lives. But then eventually there does come a point where you outgrow that costume for some reason. Like eventually we all have to define ourselves as our own being separate from capitalism, separate from whatever religion we've grown up in or have been exposed to, separate even from our own culture, which becomes very risky. And so I think there's something incredibly courageous that breaking the shell of what we think this womanhood means for us and understanding the value of that invisible labor that you're talking about, Meg. I see it distilled down into emotional labor, but I think emotional labor is a lot bigger than just like household chores and running a household and whatever. Um, But a lot of articles are written that way. I do think it is certainly that day-to-day tracking. It's like using your, your brain ram all the time and keeping that simmering at a a high pace or a high level is taxing on our systems and on ourselves. I was thinking about the loss of the village and how when we lost that culturally, we also stopped sharing the burden of community with one another. And I think that there's something really beautiful that happens in community. I mean, this happens for us when we go away on like a family trip with our friends and other families. The best thing is when you have one parent out of the group who just makes breakfast for all the children, not just wakes up and makes breakfast for their children, but makes breakfast for all the children. And then, you know, a different day, another parent will, will take that. And having that is such a restful, peaceful time. I think vacations with kids can be really challenging, but when you go on vacations with other families, you start to see that village come again and you share that burden. And there's times where, you know, one of the parents will be like, hey, I'm going to take the kids over to this thing or I'm going to go do this with them. And I love that. I, I love that. And I feel like when we move out of the village and we moved into more isolation in homes or in cities, we also lost that sharing of burdens. And I think the women were predominantly the ones who started to pick up all of those things. And we haven't put them down unless you have a partner bragging again about my partner. We've had 22 years of practice. So I'm not saying this is how it started with us. It certainly didn't start this way when we had a baby um, and we're a young family. But really our goal is to figure out one, who we are and what we are good at and what things we enjoy and what things we want to contribute. And then, of course, we all do things within our home that we don't like super love and that isn't our favorite thing to do. But, you know, we can't afford to have a cleaner or a gardener or landscaping happening. So those are the things that we take on. And we take those on sometimes because we love them, sometimes because they're just a thing that needs to get done. But we do try to share and have those conversations constantly. It's not just a one and done thing at all. We need each other. We need each other to support. We need our friendships. We need our village back because we aren't supposed to do this alone. Like we just aren't. Yep. The Proverbs 31 woman, she's like a bit of a mythical creature, right? Like she just couldn't exist in this day and age. Also, it was before when the days of Instagram and when she'd be expected to send her kids up for gymnastics, but also make sure you set your alarm at 5 a.m. to get into swimming lessons because y'all know getting your kids in swimming lessons is a nightmare. And I I didn't know that's what I was signing up for when I was (laughs) decided to be a wife and a mom. When you think about like what we 
as women in this day and age are expected to take on. And mind you, also evangelicals like to pretend that like we don't need to be like two income households. And I suppose we don't like we've been cobbling it together on one income for several years. But that's like to put my husband through school. And so he could watch our kid because childcare is freaking expensive and all of these things. At least in my younger years, I don't recall hearing sermons on rest. I don't he- I no. don't remember rest mm. being glorified. I don't remember. I know like, you know, pastors take sabbaticals or I remember missionaries would come back for a couple months. But mostly that was like to fundraise, right? Like they would yeah. come back to like, yeah. get money. It yeah. wasn't restful. Well, um, Mother's Day was the one day in my church, at least, where we honored the women. We right. gave them each a rose or whatever. Well, we got then- carnations in my church. It was a carnation <laughs> in my church. And okay. then, yeah, and then it was like, you know, we're going to, the dads are going to take everyone out for lunch because we don't want the moms to have to cook a meal a day out of the year. <laughs> that was about it. You know, it was like, thank you, women, and back to regularly scheduled programming. Right. It wasn't even thank you women. It was thank you moms. At least some churches have now have gotten hip to like the like, oh, Mother's Day is like sensitive for some people. And so now they just give flowers to all the women. But definitely back in the day, it was just moms. It was like you've graduated and you're a higher level of personhood when you become a mom. And also, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's just talk about childless women in Christianity or even in America, like I still find myself being nosy to be like, oh, when are you going to have a kid? Because it's so freaking ingrained in my brain that women are supposed to bear children. Mm-hmm. As a person who didn't want to have children, like what is wrong with me? <laughs> like, yes, just, you bought into it. <laughs> I did. You drink the flavor aid. Well, and um, I still get all the time, like, why didn't you have another? Like people think I'm weird for having one. And it's yeah, like, same. I- I'm, I'm good. That's... I'm happy with that. Find it so interesting that we think it's our business to just like talk to other people about their childbearing choices. It's bizarre. I also want to just as a bringing it to the surface and acknowledging it. This whole episode is so cis heteronormative. And that is because we were raised in such a cis heteronormative world. And as people assigned female at birth, I think all three of us did our best to be good and like wanted to please the people ahead of us. We wanted to make our parents happy. We wanted to do whatever it was that made us a good person. And part of that was performing femininity in some way. And I'm not talking about like the feminine side. I think women are amazing too. And I think feminine and masculine energy are both very valuable and important. And at the same time, I I think it's important to recognize that this is very specific to, I think, our experience. And that's not to exclude anybody else's experience. Um, So I would be really interested to hear from people who are trans or um, have other gender identities than female or woman about what this meant to you, what it means to you now, how it's influenced how you work and how hard you work versus how much you allow yourself to rest. If we're not producing something for capitalism every minute of our lives, are we okay? I think that capitalism is, you know, farther reaching than maybe evangelical stereotypes of like, sure. you know, biblical womanhood or whatever. So I think that it does hit 
all gender identities that need to produce. I think it's a personality type thing. I think some personalities are drawn more to that than others and and are just like, my brain doesn't know how to compute any other way of being. And I have no idea it, what that stems from. If I was just born that way, it wouldn't have been that way, no matter how it was raised. But I do know that the way I was raised rewarded those things mm-hmm. and praised those things. Mm-hmm. And that is something that meant a lot to me. And I pivot based on what the feedback I'm getting. And so the more helpful I was being, the more whatever, people love that. And I mean, to this day, I mean, I'm senior warden in an Episcopal church. Like I'm the type of person people are like, oh, can you, can you be in charge? Like, great. You can do that. You're capable. <laughs> and I saying no is I'm learning. Thank God for therapy. My therapist is like, just say no to things. I was talking to like one of my best friends the other day. She's an ER nurse who's had like a, you know, rough couple of years. And maybe this is for all the people who are, have bought into all this, whether it be Proverbs 31, capitalism, whatever it is. Her therapist was like, I need you to do everything at 70% this week. Mm. Wow. That stresses me out. Yeah, but she was like, you, I don't need you operating 100%. Like, you have to, like, take it down a notch for, like, your mental health. So, mm-hmm. right? It hurts a little. I was like, yeah. yeah. hard. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. How do we say no and how do we rest? What are some things that you both have had to learn to do or practice in yourself or allow yourself to do from your younger years to now? What are ways that you're both kind of navigating the learn how to rest or say no world. I have two practices that emerged for me. And the first is saying no, because I don't think you can rest until you learn to have some boundaries around your own time and your own value. I was such a workaholic for my whole life. And I used to have a job at a nonprofit. And uh, my real live actual motto that I told people back then, I was the assistant director. So I was like making all of our programs and getting all our money and all that stuff was yes to everything. And it was kind of like, there's no grant we can't get and there's no project we can't implement, you know, it was that kind of attitude, which in some ways during the Great Recession, when our business model was based on selling homes to first time home buyers with low incomes uh, and all the homes became affordable to them. <laughs> in 2008, that business model was no longer alive. So that took some of that kind of attitude. But it also, I think, was a symptom of my inability to have those boundaries or to feel like if I'm not bringing in more money, if I'm not finding more ways to diversify, if I'm not adding capacity to this organization every second of my life, I don't deserve to work here. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I look at that now and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I had such a martyrdom complex. I had such an idea that I needed to burn myself alive to keep other people warm. All of that stuff was true. So the first time I realized I needed to start saying no, I wrote down on a post-it note because post-it notes basically saved my life all the time. Taped it on my desk by where I talked to people and it said, stop, say no. Wait, think about it. Decide if you think you should say yes, but not right now. There was a multi-step process for me to just initially start practicing saying no first, which is the opposite of how I operate as a person. But doing that helped me exercise that muscle. It's like I was doing no kegels. And so in a way, it just made it Mm. easier for the word to come out my mouth or for me at least to say no for now. 
if we want to visit this someday, maybe let's put it on our someday maybe list and we can come back to it. So learning some techniques that help me to realize that I have to operate within the confines of human space and time. And I can't accomplish everything all at one time. And I can't say yes to everything because that means I'm saying no to nothing and also everything at the same time um, was really important. So there's that piece for me. How did you not devalue yourself when your work diminished? Oh, I was doing a lot of internal self-work. Once I had my first baby was when I realized that my whole body was completely screwed up because of how I learned to hold myself due to purity culture's influence. And so my mm -hmm. back was chronically hurting. I was just having migraines all the time. There was all this stuff going on. And a lot of what I did was make intentional space for myself, even though I had two kids under the age of two and a crazy job. And I think I had finished grad school by that time. Thank goodness. I still had to take the time that I could when I could and allow that to be true. What I realized at work and when I coach people, this is what I've always said, is you changing shape of how much space you take up for yourself, you deciding what your boundaries look like now allows everyone else to assimilate around that. Mm. And if it's right for you and it is a peaceful way for you to start to come back to yourself and to see that you also have human needs and maybe you should take a lunch break instead of coming to work at 7 a.m. and leaving at 5.30 just because you have to get your kids by 5.45 and never taking a break that whole time isn't a healthy choice. You know, that kind of stuff. Not so, at all. Yeah, no pigs. I mean, it was also physically like I'm going to relax my shoulders. I'm going to hold my head up straight. I'm going to let my boobs stick out because that's how they need to be in order for my back to not constantly hurt. And I'm going to not tuck my pelvis all the time. So it was a lot of reorganizing, which finally got me back in touch a little bit with my body and my bodily wisdom in the tiniest, tiniest way at that time. And it was enough to allow me to see how much I was hurting myself by giving so much and also hurting my family by giving so much in one place. Uh, and that's something I'm not going to lie. I still really struggle with that. I just quit my job because I'm like, <laughs> for the first time, I'm like, oh, I have a partner who does earn most of the income in our household. That's really different for me than my whole life before this. And he does do most of the household management in his head. And I've been able to single-mindedly focus on my work for a couple years now. And I think it's just a time to shift that. And that power dynamic is shifting and it's really vulnerable and scary for me to feel like I need to rely on somebody else and to trust that person to be you know, trust that like Florida hold as I'm walking across that wooden bridge that's over a canyon or something. What kinds of things have you done to help yourself learn How to rest? Am I learning to say no because we'll miss like yes, I'll volunteer for that position is still figuring some of those things out. But I mean, the things that have helped me is like Sarai said, listening to my body. I mean, I have IBS. I have chronic headaches. I feel like my jaws constantly clenched. I've thrown out my back a couple times in recent years. And I swear, I think it's just from holding all mm -hmm. that tension in. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, going on Lexapro has been, I notice less tension in my body. And when I forget to take my meds, I can feel it's like this churning in my insides. Yeah. I describe it as a, like that low level buzz you hear of fluorescent lights or whatever. It's like my insides is that mm -hmm. when I'm not 
medicated. For Therapy. listeners, uh, Sarai and I are both vigorously nodding in agreement <laughs> that these are all things that we are like, yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. surprised I'm not banging my head into same, my microphone. Same. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, therapy has been so wonderfully helpful as a person who is very type A, who is gets a lot of my self-worth from what I produce and having people tell me that I'm good at shit saying no to things because for me i i believe in myself and my abilities and so when i take something on i know like well yeah i'm gonna be able to pull this off and then everyone's gonna be like oh my gosh you did a great thing and i'll get like this momentary this minute of self-satisfaction but like the toll that it takes on me and my body and my family it's not worth it and i will say lastly weed (laughs) it is (laughs) let me tell you uh I took a long time to come around to weed. And during the pandemic, uh, Mary Jane and I have become very good friends. And uh, maybe this is not healthy, but sometimes I feel like it's the only way I can turn my brain off. And weed sleep is the best sleep. I don't have it like every day all the time, but I have this thing. So since I run my own business and I run a social media management business and social media never stops. So literally, and especially with childcare woes in the pandemic. I work in the weirdest fits and sports. So I often end up working at night, which I don't love. And so recently, a thing that I do is after my kid goes to bed, which is about eight o'clock, I will pop a gummy and I will work until that gummy kicks in. And then I'm like, now it's time for trash TV and snacks. And maybe that's not self-care to y'all, but it's self-care to me. And it is freaking delightful. And it's a great way for me to be like, no, I'm too high to work. I have to close this computer. I got to walk away. It makes me sleepy. And maybe I'll figure out a different strategy someday. But for right now, that's what's working for me. I like it. (laughs) My therapist has been saying, as I've been describing my exact routine like that, but although mine was immediately after work for almost two years straight, I would like turn off my computer. I'd walk upstairs. I would take a gummy. I would lay down, put my weighted blanket on. I'd put in my noise canceling headphones and play brainwaves and put a weighted eye mask on and just lay there like stuck underneath all that weight for like one hour. And then I could emerge and interact with society. (laughs) But that is a coping mechanism that we use. And I'm grateful that it's there because to be honest, it's a lot less horrifying than um, the ravages of the bottle of booze. yeah or any other thing i mean weed is like whatever it's a plant and the good lord made it so yeah it's straight from the lord and Lindsay, can you let our listeners know what the original thought for naming this podcast was high times with the most high i believe meg and i were high together and we were like we should start a podcast talking about god while we're high Mm -hmm. i will also say that we tried making a podcast while high and it did Mm -hmm. not go well Mm -mm. so i thought it went great (laughs) i mean i I mean it's hilarious but great while we were doing it it was really fun i had a great time and it was very long and maybe someday we'll release snippets of it but probably not the whole episode i'm pretty sure it was um, like three hours (laughs) we're (laughs) if you think we're chatty now just wait till we're (laughs) high you know what one day we're gonna have a camp retreat for all of our holy ghosters we're gonna have high times with the most high we're gonna have anti-worship around the fire it's going to be a great time. I can't wait. Meg, do you have a no trick that you like to help you say no? Um, yeah, I'm not great at saying no. Uh, one thing that I did learn, though, was that 
if I did not set my own boundaries, no one was going to set or embrace boundaries for me. And I always kind of gave that power to other people. If my kid needs me, if my spouse needs me, if my work needs me, I have to say yes, because they count on me. And they count on me because they all told me they count on me. And I do really bad with failure. I do really bad with letting people down. That's a real struggle for me. But I have been learning to find my self-worth in me and not in other people's opinions of me or in Mm -hmm. other people's ideas of me. And most of the time, what I find is even if I don't feel like I've run myself ragged enough, um, that I've worked myself to the bone long enough, other people still appreciate the things that I accomplish. And you know, even if they don't verbalize that, if they just have this sense of relief that they're glad I'm there or that they can count on me for things, even just the simplest things. If I send a text to remind somebody of something and just that thankfulness that they have, it's really hard to not take those things and be like, oh, well, then I'm doing a good job. You know, I have to know that I'm, I'm worth something and I'm good even outside of any other person telling me that I'm good or worth anything. Hmm. I'm not there. I don't know if I ever will be. I think one of the things that I learned through Christianity and going through church is that you can never have all the answers and you can never be perfect and you never will be perfect. And if you believe in God, God's not telling you that you have to be perfect. That's not part of the deal. So taking that idea of perfection and saying, well, if God is perfect, I have to be perfect. That came from man. Uh, That did not come from God. I struggle with it still. I truly do not eat the bread of idleness. That is like (laughs) the biggest kind of worry that I have. My husband's always telling me that I exhaust him, that even during my times of rest, I'm doing like five things to rest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) So, you know, I do things. I love my drinks. Um, I don't partake of alcohol very often. I just, just a personal thing I chose. But I did start getting into weed. And I was a very late bloomer and have since embraced all the different kinds of... I feel like I peer pressured you into... Uh, yeah. You honest. know what? I think, I, I think, Lindsay, I think you recognize in me a very similar thing that you have, which is not being able to shut your brain off. And you really gently... I mean, it took a while, but you really gently kind of, yeah, peer pressured me into the sweet, sweet relief of smoking <laughs> a joint and just not giving two fucks about anything. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's what Jesus was talking about when he was like, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Maybe he was just like passing the joint. I gave you this plant so that you could rest. It was a mistranslation. He was always going to say, I will give you weed. It was a beautiful thing. If it gives me rest, I'll take it. Like, Yeah. Well, I have one more practice. And then since I feel like we've gone almost half as long as our actual high times with the most high episode. (laughs) My last one is a practice I instituted for myself probably four or five years ago that I called radical uselessness, which was I used to be really artistic and creative and I had a lot of fun painting and drawing and making music and writing songs and, and just playing and going on walks and whatever. And so I created this thing for myself called Radical Uselessness, where I on purpose would spend 
at least an hour, but sometimes however long it took me to draw a picture or make a Instagram post that I liked or whatever it was that didn't matter and that I wasn't doing for the purpose of getting ahead or of making connections or of I'm going to take over the world and get more coaching clients or whatever it was. Uh, it was just a thing I did for myself because I liked doing it. And it didn't matter if I produced anything at the end, though if I did, I always liked it. So radical uselessness is something I think is still worth practicing. And I feel like over the last two years with the pandemic, radical uselessness became harder for me to grasp because it was like full bore panic attack constantly, work hard, work hard, work hard, go home, watch TV, crash, go to sleep. And that's, you know, fine. Well, but... We've literally been in survival mode. Like yeah, there's been so exactly. much fear of, yeah, it's yeah. hard to. So no but... judgment on that at all. I'm just saying like, I don't know if you like painting, go get a little palette of watercolors and paint a picture, <laughs> you know, blow some bubbles. I don't know. Do something that feels good to you. That doesn't matter. Doesn't get anything done for anybody else, but it is absolutely just your time. And if you can do it for an hour, then you get an A+. I'd like to rewrite the term selfishness. I think that selfishness mm -hmm. gets a bad rap. I think that it's important to have selfishness in your life. I don't think that we as women in particular were raised, you know, that's such a dirty, bad, filthy word. And I just, I'm kind of over it. I feel like I just, I want to tell everyone, if you're tired, you need to rest. Yes. If your body aches, you need to rest. And it, it's selfishness is not a negative thing. If you are never selfish and never take time for self, you are not going to be good for others. Mm -hmm. You just won't. You'll be crankier, have more body aches, you know, less sleep. It, that is just all things that are not going to lead to a happy, healthy, live, laugh, love life. Well, and I think it's true if you are a person of faith or a spiritual person or not. I think some of us have been forced to learn this lesson, especially in the pandemic, is that if you, you can't take care of yourself, you're not gonna be able to take care of other people. Every person, regardless of faith or not, could take some of this and realize like the myth of the Proverbs 31 woman, sure, there are some ideals there and she ran things with beauty and grace. But I think the reality of the world we are in right now and the people that we are right now, whether you're a woman or not, whatever gender you are, is that I think it's okay to have goals of the type of person you want to be and the type of household you want to run, all of that. Like some of that, like a clean household, I like it. Like it, it gives me peace and rest. But at the same time, like balancing that, sometimes it's just not going to happen and that has to be okay. I think like it's the letting go. It's just stepping back and understanding what our constraints as human beings are and that I am not a superhero and I don't have to be a superhero. I don't have to prove shit to anyone. I need to take care of myself first and foremost and then I can fight the good fight because Lord knows we are needed in this world. There's a lot to do. And it reminds me of, Meg, what you posted in light of the road decision. The, like, first we rest, then we rage. We can't sit back in that rest. We can't use that as an excuse not to get involved because we have to be involved and we do have to work and it's going to be fucking tiring. But at the same time, we're never going to be able to do that if we are running ourselves ragged, doing all these little things that are expected of us and that are programmed into us that aren't necessarily maybe important. Look at the priorities Look at like what is necessary for you and yourself and your family and the rest. Let it go. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want us to have the opportunity to get back into community where women are not pitted against women. So if you have the same traits as another woman, that means that you guys can work on opposite schedules of one another. That means that you can work 24-7 if you have multiple people fulfilling a similar role within the same place. And I'm not talking about in business or in industry. I'm really just talking about in community. It's that sharing of the burden and knowing that we are all here for one another. And if we can be in community together, we we are stronger together than we are apart. And in particularly as women, as, as women who have that nurture nature and that mothering tendency, and we want to make the world a beautiful, amazing place, we can't do it by ourselves. So it's important that we don't shun when people offer help. And it's important that we offer help when we have more to give than than what our family or our community needs. And let's normalize messy corners and dishes full of sinks. <laughs> dishes um, full of sinks. I love <laughs> Life is just a chair of foley's. But I Oh my gosh. My, Am I tired? <laughs> it's all good. This is another thing you can do is not only accept help and offer help, but also sometimes ask for help. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Preach sister right. Let's all get some more radical uselessness figured out in our own lives. I want to know everyone else's ideas for radical uselessness. What are you ladies doing? What are our non-binary friends doing? What are the men in our lives doing to give yourself rest and to be useless? I think we should all have that goal. Let's be useless this weekend. I'm going to go be radically useless and watch The Bachelorette because mm. I'm- You're learning life skills for if you ever have to go on a reality dating show. So, you know? Yeah, it's, absolutely. Just kidding. No, it can be totally counted as uselessness. <gasps> Did you just invent a scripture? <laughs> I count it all as uselessness go rip up your chore list that's right listen everybody go be useless this has been holy ghosting i'm sarai i'm meg and i'm Lindsay. but we'll see you next time useless <laughs> holy ghosting is a same team media production music by weep bar ap weber produced the show We'd like to give a special thanks to Meredith Hawley and Eris Conflict Resolution for consulting with us about our stories. If you have a story of abuse and you're worried about telling it publicly, they're available to help you tell your story in a way that keeps you safe. Find them at erisresolution.com. Thanks for joining us. And if you miss us in between shows, you can find us on socials posting almost every day at Holy Ghosting Pod, Instagram and TikTok. 